No one got to me in the same way Dr. Brand did. He was a deeply humble man. And I, he just lived out his faith. And if you meet one person who does that, it can change everything. I suspect you may know some about my guest today, Philip Yancey. But what do you know about his mentor, the person who helped shape the trajectory of his life of faith, the late Dr. Paul Brand? Dr. Brand remains world-renowned for his innovative advances treating the devastating disease of leprosy. But he's also known for his humanity, the dignity and love that seem to effortlessly flow into his care for some of the most marginalized and discarded in the world. Some 30 years ago, Brand and Yancey wrote two books. They sold more than 700,000 copies. Those endearing and compelling first-person narratives Philip collected, researched, and crafted have now been combined and updated into a new release titled Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. Brand and Yancey take us on an accessible and beautiful exploration of the human body and its intersection between science and faith. This book happens to be our first text for this season of the Renovare Book Club. Philip is facilitating our deep dive into the text, in which he offers us exclusive study guides and essays, podcasts. Things officially start October 14th, and if you sign up before September 30th, we'll be happy to send you out a copy of Fearfully and Wonderfully. You can find out more information at renovare.org slash book club. In this interview today, I was able to sit down with Philip and ask him about his old friend and dear mentor. We explored Brand's influence on him and how the doctor's story and message is as relevant as ever. The insights and stories in this book serve as a sort of prophetic voice, a startling and engaging picture of the possibilities of just what the human body, the body of Christ, can become and how the pain and suffering of others holds a potential gift for us all. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. Philip, good to see you. It's a pleasure to be with you again, Nathan. We've met a few times over the years, and now it's a virtual meeting over the over the internet, over the web. Yes, and and for good reason. This new book uh, that we're getting to work with in the book club. Tell us a, a little bit about the book. Years ago, I hate to say how many, but actually about 30. forty years. <laughs> 40 years. Well, about forty years ago, I met a remarkable man named Dr. Paul Brand. I was writing a book called Where is God When It Hurts and spending a lot of time in libraries. You may may need to explain libraries to some of your listeners uh, uh, before Google search and uh, reading books on the problem of pain. God's one mistake. You know, if only we didn't have pain, the world would be so much better place. And I came across 
this doctor who had a very different viewpoint. He made some of the dramatic discoveries in leprosy that pain is actually a gift. He said, thank God for pain. If I had one gift to give to my leprosy patients, it would be the gift of pain. And he is the one who, who proved that virtually all of the abuse that goes with leprosy, losing your fingers, losing your toes, going blind, comes about because leprosy destroys pain cells, nerve cells. And people do it to themselves without knowing it because they lack the, the protection value of pain. Well, that started a relationship. I call it a Mutt and Jeff, an odd couple relationship, because he was a distinguished British surgeon who had lived in India for most of his life. I was uh, kind of a hippie coming out of the 1960s, had a very bad uh, church experience. My own faith was very shaky. I was still trying to figure out what I could swallow and what I couldn't. I was recovering from the church. And he gave me about a 10-year window. We, we ended up doing three books together that were transformative to me. He's a great man who combines medicine and science and faith in equal parts. And we did two books back then that drew analogies between the human body, the physical body, and the body of Christ, the church. Those books were fearfully and wonderfully made and in his image. Dr. Brand has since died. He died in 2003, but I did not want him to disappear in history. He gave me a great legacy, and there's a whole new generation of readers who don't know Dr. Brand. So I went back and kind of combined the best of those two books, updated the medicine, updated the science. A lot has changed. Updated the readers. You know, readers are, are more intolerant now than they used to be. And I, I didn't uh, allow myself as many discursions as, as I did in the old days. I just took the best of both, revised and updated, and brought it out for a new generation of readers. The book is called Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. And you write it in kind of first person as uh, Dr. Brand. Correct. It's in his voice all the way through. I explained that a bit in the preface. It was a true collaboration. I would interview him, then go and contribute everything I could, both in, in the medical research and especially in the theological research, and then come back to him and go over every word together. So it was a true collaboration. I, I've read some of these books that go back and forth. You know, he said, she said. And I, I have a hard time with those books. So he, he, he kept saying, uh, Philip, this doesn't seem fair because here you spent years working on these books and they appear with my name on them. And I say, hey, I didn't have to do leprosy surgery for 25 years in India. You know, uh, I got a good deal here. I just had to write up your story and add what I could. But it, it truly was a joint effort. And uh, in, many, in many ways, I felt like, um, um, who was it, James Boswell that followed Samuel Johnson around, just having the privilege of, of following a great man and asking every question I could think of. Mm-hmm. Was it your background in journalism? It fit quite well. Right. I had interviewed many people over the years, and no one got to me in the same way Dr. Brand did. He was a deeply humble man. Most people I interviewed and wrote articles about uh, would 
we're quite satisfied. You know, if you say anything that sounds critical, that doesn't make them look good, they're a little offended. Dr. Brand would would keep trying to get me to make him look worse. You know, <laughs> well, that really wasn't my idea. That was that was Dr. Fritchie's idea. No, I think that makes me look too good. And I he just lived out his faith. And if you meet one person who does that, it can change everything. You know, I had had a lot of examples of unhealthy Christianity. Here was an example of, of what God had in mind with the human race. You said that he affected you more personally and spiritually than any other single person? Yes, he did. He became a true father figure to me in every sense of the word. I did not grow up with a father. My father died of polio when I was just one year old, so I had no, no memories of him at all. And uh, then, as an adult, a younger adult, I came in contact with this person who I trusted. He was wise. He was full of adventure. He knew the world. He knew the name of every plant, every butterfly, every bird, you know. And I was very attracted to that and also attracted to the way he chose to spend his life. When I started as a journalist, I thought, Man, wouldn't it be great to be around famous people, you know, the Justin <laughs> Bieber's, the Kim Kardashians of the world, and and I did a little bit of that. And actually, I I no longer wanted to be like those kind of people. It's not a very, it's an artificial life, and many of them have trouble uh, finding fulfillment in it, as as we know. And here was a man as bright and uh, fulfilled as anyone I knew, who spent his life among the lowest people on the entire planet, Nathan. There, there's just nobody worse off than a person in the untouchable caste, now called Dalits, who has leprosy. I mean, they're at the bottom. They're kicked out of their village. They're kicked out of their homes. They're made to live in a rock pile or a cave somewhere. Uh, nobody will touch them. They're not allowed to go into restaurants, public buses. They're just outcast in every sense of the word. And and Dr. Brand, this brilliant surgeon who was offered at one point the head of orthopedics at Stanford University and at uh, at Oxford University, and he turned them down to work among these people with leprosy and changed the course of the disease, devised all sorts of uh, hand surgery techniques that, that bear his name today, and and uh, at the same time ended up being joyful, full of gratitude, deeply humble, and just demonstrating that what Jesus said is is right. You don't find your life by acquiring. You find your life by giving it away. He did that in the very process. He found his life. Hmm. What did he do for you, your relationship? As I mentioned, my faith was still uh, shaky. I wasn't sure... I knew that there was something worth preserving from the Bible, from the group I was raised with, but I knew there was also quite a bit that should be thrown out. (laughs) Uh, I was raised in an angry, legalistic, racist church, and one by one I realized, that's not Jesus, that's not Jesus. Jesus wasn't like that. So what was Jesus like? It's kind of hard to figure that out. When you just read the Gospels, you know, there's a 2,000-year gap there, and it's hard to 
to understand what a modern Jesus would look like. You know, somebody in our world that includes computers and telephones and airplanes and things like that. And Dr. Brand gave me that in-person demonstration of what a Christ follower in in the 20th, 20th, 21st century could look like. He had dealt with the problem of pain that we all struggle with more than anybody I know. Again, he was among some of the most abused people on the planet. And yet his faith was intact. And I remember when I spoke at his funeral in 2003, reflecting on his his impact on me, I said, um, I was able to give words to his faith. I, I could write about his own faith with great integrity, with honesty, because I, I knew the man and I was speaking in his voice. But it, it, we had an exchange. I was giving words to his faith, and in the process, he was giving faith to my words. And eventually I got to the place where I could write about my own faith. But during that period, I wouldn't have been able to write the kind of books that are right now. I, I wasn't ready. My faith wasn't there. And I look back on it as a, as a kind of cocoon, a chrysalis stage in my own spiritual development. Mm-hmm. That's such a wonderful backstory to just put in context of, of the years of what you've gone on to do. Well, when I, and I'm, when I look back at the books I wrote, you can kind of tell where I was. My first book was Where Is God When It Hurts? The second book in my voice was Disappointment with God. You know, that's where I was. Yeah. <laughs> I was out there on the margins. It took me a long time to get to places where I would write about prayer or grace or Jesus. That came. And it came in large part because of the developmental period in, in which I spent so much time with Dr. Brand. What was it like for you to go back and revisit the manuscripts? It was fun, and it was so much easier than starting from scratch. <laughs> you, <laughs> you've done writing. You know that yep. terrible feeling when you face the blank paper or the blank computer screen. That just uh, every self-doubt, every morsel of paranoia you've ever felt just descends on you at that moment. And, I go, can I go clean a toilet, please? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. I gotta wash my dog, yeah. And here I had two books that uh, I had worked on a, lo- a long time, and, and they were the very best I could do back then. But I've learned a lot about writing in the last 30, 40 years. So first I I went through and I realized, I mentioned earlier that readers are a little more intolerant now. And one thing I, I know about millennials, I know about human beings, is everybody loves stories. And Dr. Brand had some of the most remarkable stories I've ever heard. They're, they just show the world in a whole different situation. These dear people who have the the worst luck in life thrown at them. I mean, even today, nobody knows how you get leprosy, how it's communicated. Most people are immune. About 90 to 95% of people are completely immune. We have a resistance built in so that if somebody injected the leprosy bacilli into you, you wouldn't get it. But then this 5% or 10% of people, and often they're in very poor situations, and then through a misunderstanding of the disease, the myth of the disease, they're treated like animals. They're treated like subhuman beings. And 
again and again, Dr. Brand would tell me stories often with tears running down his, his cheeks, re remembering these patients that he had spent years with redoing the tendons and muscles in their fingers and in their and finding shoes that wouldn't damage their feet and finding ways, creative ways to keep them from going blind. And then to see how the image of God came forth in beautiful ways in those patients. I remember one man I talk about in the book, his name is Sadan. He worked for years. The funny thing about leprosy is because you don't feel pain, they could actually do surgery on you without anesthetic. He would say, sure, it doesn't hurt. Try, try this hand, try that hand, you know, do whatever you want. And he became kind of a willing guinea pig as they were trying to figure out what surgeries would work. And at the same time, of course, he was cut off from his family, um, had no social contact other than other leprosy patients in the leprosarium. And then finally, he was ready to go back, and he went back and visited his family. And I tell the story in the book. Um, the first night, he woke up the next morning, and his hand had been chewed on by a rat. It was chewed down to the bone, just a mess of blood and sinew and, and broken flesh. And he, he was appalled. Well, of course, he lacked pain. If we had our hand and a, a little mouse came and nibbled on it, we'd jump up and slap him upside of the head, you know? Right, right. <laughs> he never felt it. So he felt so humiliated and, and disconsolate. The next night, he decided, I've got to stay up all night. So he did. He had a kerosene lantern, and he was an accountant. Unlike some of the other patients, he wasn't an untouchable. He was middle class. And as he was uh, trying to stay awake, he decided to study his accounting textbook. Well, that's not the best thing to keep you awake. He should have been reading a murder mystery or something, but he fell asleep. And this time, his other hand slipped. And, and landed on the kerosene lantern, which was very hot. And the next day he woke up and his hand had been burned. His fingers were fused together. And he went back to the leprosarium to Dr. Brand, just sobbing. You know, I'm so sorry after all the work that you put into remaking my hands. Well, he told me this story. I was in his home. Funny little guy. He looked like a miniature version of Gandhi. <laughs> Bald head, big round glasses. Sing song voice, he talked like this. <laughs> he told me this story, and at the end, uh, he said, But I am happy that I have the diseased leprosy. I said, Sadat, how can you say that? That's one of the most wrenching stories I've ever heard. I'm so sorry that all you've been through, and, and now you say you're happy. How can you be happy? And he said, If I had not had the diseased leprosy, I would never have met. Dr. Paul and Dr. Margaret Brand and the God who lives in them. And, you know, you hear these stories that you just can't make up. And there he was uh, as, as an older man, having lived a, a life of suffering beyond what most of us can even imagine. And yet at the end, he said, it was all worth it because through them, well, because I met them and through them, I met the God who inspired them to come to my country and, and do what they've done. Wow, wow. 
What do you hope for readers to take from the book? It's a strange book because there aren't many books of analogies around. And at the heart, I'm drawing analogies between the physical body and the body of Christ. On the physical body, I want people to go away with a sense of gratitude and marvel, really, in the bodies that we've been given. They're remarkable instruments with unbelievable design. As, as Dr. Brand looks at individual parts, the blood, the bone, the muscles, the brain, the nerve cells, anything that the brightest scientist in the world can do is like child's play compared to what's already built into our body. I mean, even the greatest computers are, are trying to duplicate <laughs> the kind of network that already exists inside our mind and all the, the billions of synapses and nerve cells. So a sense of gratitude, and, and Dr. Brand is a perfect person for that because he says most of the time doctors are like the complaint desk at a department store. They only hear about people who are where something's not working. And one by one, he says, you know, the things that we don't like and, and we think are our enemies are actually our friends. So pain, of course, is an obvious one. We don't like pain, but it's very effective. And if you take pain away, you have leprosy. But even things like vomit and diarrhea and sneezing and coughing and fever and swelling, every one of those is a protective mechanism that your body is trying to get rid of something that is damaging it, that's hurting it. And what I learned in my years with Dr. Brand and my own research, I learned a way to befriend my body, to see it as, as, as this great gift that God has given each one of us. And in that gift, no matter what the body is, whether it's ugly or, or deformed or whatever, still we can indeed demonstrate the image of God. The subtitle of the book, Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. And I, I don't know a better group who can do that than these leprosy patients because their bodies are uh, disfigured and not attractive and sometimes repellent. And yet, out of them, again and again, I've seen God's image shine forth brightly. So both uh, befriending the body and then understanding God's image, the great gift that we've been given that, that can apply to every one of us, and not just as individuals, but as the church. Because the prophetic part of the book is, okay, this is how the body works. This is how the body of Christ should work. Are we doing it right? Are we attending to the, to the weak parts? Are we reaching out to the marginalized? Are we summoning out the image of God that's built into every human being? Are we repressing it in some way? Those prophetic words that came so easily to Dr. Brand living in India where there are so many social problems apply to the church, especially the church in the United States today, because we're we're living in a very divided, polarized society. And Jesus said, the one thing, the one prayer I leave with you is that you would be one as the Father and Spirit and I are one. And we're not doing a very good job at that. And we can learn 
we can learn how an organism, a true organism works, where every part works for the whole. People are diverse, but there is, there is a unity if you join together in the body of Christ. And I want to portray that unity and encourage the church to fully realize that because the world doesn't really have good examples right now of combining diversity and unity. We kind of go back and forth and diversity is winning the game right now. Marginalized do get a lot of attention, but at the same time, our society is fractured and splintered and there's, there's very little unity. The church can demonstrate what that should look like. That's good. Do, do you think there's a connection between the gift of pain as, as a help in this regenerative process and alerting our bodies to, you know, change, do something different. Do you think that fits in with the body of Christ, the pain and suffering that we as a community face, that that has a helpful place too? I do. There are a lot of parallels between physical pain and emotional pain, and I would say spiritual pain. So things like, uh, if your marriage isn't going well, and eventually it's going so poorly that you get an appointment with a marriage counselor, well, that's like going to a doctor with a physical pain. Um, the discomfort that you feel, even things like fear, you know, these are, these are good things. They, they mobilize the resources of the body so that you can respond yeah i know you and i both climbed some of the mountains in colorado nathan and <laughs> i wouldn't want to do that without a good healthy fear <laughs> right. if you don't have fear uh there's a name for you that's dead <laughs> you, know, you, you need to have that proper fear and in the body of christ uh one parallel just today actually i got a i got a book in the mail on the persecuted church and one of the statements Dr. Brand makes occurs to me. He says, a healthy body is not a body that feels no pain. He demonstrates that with his leprosy patients. A healthy body is not one that feels no pain. A healthy body is one that attends to the pain of the weakest part. Mm -hmm. And that's what the church should be doing. So if a hurricane hits or uh, a tsunami or a wildfire or flooding, Fortunately, these days, evangelical and Christian groups are often on the very front lines. They're the first ones to respond, first responders. And the persecuted church, uh, what's happening in China, what's happening in some countries in the Middle East, the, the church as a whole should rally around, pay attention to that pain. In the same way, if I've got a splinter in my finger or a thorn, it's hard for me to do anything else. I've got to deal with that. I've got to take care of it. And that's the kind of role that pain can play in the body of Christ as well. So that instead of, well, I don't want to make judgments here, but instead of fixating solely on, do I have the latest sound system in my church? Or, you know, should I pave my parking lot? We should also be aware of, of the weakest parts of the church going on globally as well. I like this picture that the pain we feel as a community or the discomfort, or even the anger and the division, that viewing this, spinning this of sorts as uh, something to lean into rather than, um, you know, hide from. But listen to it. Listen to the message behind it. Right. Um, 
Paul is a great example of how the gospel can change this whole issue of, of unity and, and diversity because he grew up as an Orthodox Jew and they were, they were a separatist group. And as I understand it, being a Pharisee, he would pray every day this prayer. He would say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not born a woman. <laughs> and thank you that I'm not born a Greek or a Gentile. And thank you that I'm not born a slave. And even the synagogues where they worshipped, the temple, the temple in Jerusalem had the court of the Gentiles. And then they weren't allowed past this wall. And then uh, female Jews are allowed in, and then male Jews are allowed in, and then there's a priest, and then there's a high priest, and each one is divided off. It was a hierarchical worship. And then that same Paul, who had prayed for, who knows, 20, 25 years maybe, every day, thanks that I'm not a, a woman or a slave or, or a Greek, uh, said, in Christ there is no male nor female. There is no slave nor free there is no jew nor greek that's transforming and and that's what our world lacks right now i heard an evangelist from india his name is vinay samuel and he was saying india is a very diverse society diverse religions too a lot of hindus a lot of muslims and he says actually you know you christians you we christians he was a christian himself we christians we talk about our miracles but frankly the Hindus and the Muslims claim miracles as well. We talk about our physical healings in response to, to prayer. They would do the same thing. In fact, they would talk about resurrections from the dead. There's one miracle, he said, that only Christians can present. And that's the miracle that I just described. That uh, people of different castes in India, people of different genders, male, female, can come together and worship together. An outcast in Hindu society cannot even go into the temple. There are a lot of them, like 150 million of them in India, but they're not allowed to go into the temple and worship. They're literally outcasts, and women can't go into the temple. And the same is true in, in many Muslim societies where male and female have very strict rules governing them. But Paul recognized we have a new identity that is more important than social class, than than uh, gender and some of these other things. And to the degree that the church can present that, that is something that our world deeply needs and I, I believe cannot come up with on its own apart from the transforming power of the gospel. That is really helpful to, to think in terms of historically as Christianity of breaking down these social walls of division and assigning value to people. We don't do it perfectly or even consistently. And some of these things took a long time to work out. I mentioned growing up in this racist church in Atlanta. So you know, 2,000 years later, in my church, we were still meeting people at the door. And if they're people of color, they're not allowed in. Deacons would say, "You're not. You, we know you're just a troublemaker. You're not a true worshiper. Well, that has changed even in my lifetime, thank God. But for um, 1,900 years, <laughs> that's the way it was. There were very few churches of mixed race. And now, of course, we face uh, different issues, immigration being a huge one. Some churches respond one way. Some churches respond another way. 
but we, God has, has commissioned us to show a new way of loving and a, a new way of unity and a new way of reaching out to those who are marginalized in some way. And the church should take the lead in that. Mm-hmm. Boy, we'd hope. As, as a side note, I will say years ago, I, I read you talking about your experience growing up in that church. And what really struck me is your honesty and just the way you just kind of um, laid it out there. It was helpful. It was very helpful. I, yeah, and I remember when I wrote that, I thought, how is this going to come across to an African-American reader? Is this going to be offensive to them? And then I would go out and meet them, and they would say, thank you. This is not a surprise to us. We, right. we grew we up know with it. this stuff, <laughs> you know? And, and you weren't papering it over. You were telling it like it is, and thank you for doing that. It was, it was hard. I, I felt bad. And I felt bad kind of exposing the church I grew up in. But sometimes we have to do that. Um, certainly the Bible does it. The Bible's very honest about failures and and prophets and in the New Testament, Paul's letters and in the book of Revelation. It's very clear when the church is not living according to the gospel of Christ, we need to stand up and say, wait a minute. That's not what God had in mind. That's not what Jesus said in mind. Mm-hmm. A question for you. I mean, I like this idea, and and I and I find Dr. Brand's um, insights really helpful in terms of suffering and pain. And um, did you get a sense? I mean, it's one thing to to you know encounter people in, in pain and to kind of approach it with that lens, um, but when pain strikes us, that, that's something in, in, in entirely different in a sense. And did you get a sense of how he was able to reconcile some of these uh, beliefs and understandings with his own suffering? I think, well, I'm, I, in a sense, I'm putting words in his mouth, but that's what I, that's what I did in this book, right? <laughs> <It's a> book. <laughs> so, let me just say how I understand that, and I think it reflects his sensibility as well. There's a phrase that you probably are familiar with, Nathan, and from C.S. Lewis. He talks about pain as the megaphone of God. He says God whispers to us in our good times and shouts to us in our hard times. And that's, that's a vivid image. I flinch, however, when I hear that image because what's, what comes to mind is a football coach on the on the sidelines are an army sergeant yelling, okay, 50 more push-ups, you guys, you know, run five laps, you know, as if God is distributing pain uh, either to punish us or to discipline us in some way. And I've looked at all the passages in the Bible on pain, and I would just have to say I I disagree with that. And I don't think that's what C.S. Lewis had in mind. I would change the image this way. I would say that pain works more as a kind of hearing aid. And it's up to us to tune in, to to increase the volume. I mean, the volume is increased by pain, but to pay attention to it or to shut it down. And each one of us has that ability to respond one way or another. I remember about a little over 10 years ago, I had a, 
a life-threatening auto accident. I had a broken neck, and I was in a in a clinic. They uh, did an, a CAT scan and found out that the bones were were fragmented, and there was one right next to my carotid artery. And the uh, doctor, kind of young guy, probably flunked a course in bedside manner. <laughs> he came up to me and said, uh, "Mr. Yancey, uh, you got a you got a broken neck, and we're trying to figure out if it's punctured the carotid artery. And we have a jet standing by to fly you to Denver for emergency so- surgery if indeed it has, but." Um, just between you and me, if it's been punctured, you're not going to make it to Denver. So here's a cell phone. Call the people you love and tell them goodbye, just in case. Whoa! <laughs> well, I didn't, and it wasn't punctured, but I they didn't know that for a while. So I lay there for seven hours strapped to a bodyboard. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm a Christian writer. Uh, what, what if his, this is my last day? What are my final thoughts here? And it occurred to me there are only three things that were worth my time that day. Who do I love? Who, who will I call on that cell phone and say goodbye? Who do I love? What have I done with my life? Good time for a life review. And what am I ready for whatever is next? Because I had been raised in hellfire and brimstone, and I thought at the time that I'd get this surge of fear and you know old kind of childhood fears coming back. And that didn't happen because I've known I've come to know a God of grace and mercy and love. And I I was ready. But it occurred to me, I should be living my entire life around those three questions. Who do I love? What am I doing with my life? And am I ready for whatever is next? Am I living for God? But it took pain. It took that, as C.S. Lewis would say, the megaphone, or as I would say, the hearing aid. You know, it got my attention. And I did make some life changes, some major ones after that. And I think that's how pain works. Um, I look at someone like a, a Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of your listeners are familiar with her story. And I wrote her story. One of the first things I ever did as a magazine editor back in my early 20s, she she couldn't imagine what her life would be like. She, I remember interviewing her. She just started crying. And she said, uh, Philip, um, could you give me a Kleenex? And I, I did, and he came back, and she said, I'm so embarrassed. I can't get dressed on my own. I can't go to the bathroom on my own. I can't even cry without help. How can I possibly live like this? Well, she's lived as full and robust a life as anyone I know. She's traveled the world. She's changed the church in our sensibility for disability. And there have been many, many, many times when Johnny desired healing, sought healing, had famous people pray for her. Anybody you can name who has a gift of healing has prayed for Johnny Erickson, and she wasn't healed. Is that a failure? No, because I frankly, what I call redeemed pain is more impressive to me than removed pain, removed suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think of I think of the leprosy patients. I think of those who are persecuted around the world. I think of disabilities. I think of parents who have a a child with a with a severe genetic defect. These are these are great trials. And 
I think it's important for us to realize God feels the same way about them that we that we do. And it's hard mm-hmm. to say, but God grieves more than we do. And the reason I know that is because God showed us how he feels about suffering people in the person of Jesus. Jesus never responded with with you know some little pablum <laughs> philosophy. He always responded by setting it right. You know, this is not what God intended for this world. And in small ways, and in one particular place, he set it right in in a little corner of the Roman Empire. And then he turned he turned the mission over to us and said, "Now go and take the same message of comfort and and love and healing. Take it around the world." And and the rest is history. The church has done that, not perfectly, often in in very bumbling ways, but we've we've done that. And one of the things I love about working with Dr. Brand and getting to know uh, some of the giants in the field of leprosy. Virtually every major advance in the treatment and the understanding of the disease leprosy has come from Christian missionaries. Not necessarily because they were the best scientists, although some of them were, like Paul Brand, but because they were the only ones willing to reach out and touch people with leprosy. Doctors didn't want to get get around them. Healthcare workers were afraid of them. And missionaries took great risk, but Jesus touched those with leprosy. Um, so we should do that. We should we should follow the steps of Jesus. It's a beautiful, good news story of the church being faithful to Jesus' mission. That's good. Well, um, connecting a few pieces here, and as you have help us. Um, get to know a person, your, your friend, that person you respect that's helped you. Uh, those three questions, who he loved, what was he doing, and what was he prepared for? It Just a, a, a beautiful picture of, as best I can tell, a living example of working those out well. Paul. Yeah. And yeah, I get, I get a lot of letters from people who are uh, who've given up on the church, who who are disgusted. And I write back often and say, oh, it's worse than that. Church is worse than that. <laughs> hey, about my church, you know. <laughs> but but often it, it takes just it takes just one person to turn the corner. That, yeah. That was true in my life. To realize um, well <laughs> A scene from a Woody Allen movie, of all things, comes to mind. I, I, he was talking to Diane. I don't even know the name of the movie. But he said, uh, it's too bad you weren't around when God was having his argument with Job. And she looks at him and says, what? <laughs> he says, yeah, because God could have said, well, then maybe there are a lot of things you don't like about this world, but at least I created you. I mean that's quite a pickup line, isn't it? You know, <laughs> and and that's kind of how I felt about Dr. Brand. Okay, I'd, I'd I'd seen a lot of the underbelly of the church, and it is not attractive. But then I I saw a living example of someone who indeed uh, oriented his life around trying to be faithful to Jesus by reaching out to the least of these, my brethren, as Jesus told us to do, and in the process found a full and joyful and abundant life. Jesus Jesus said that. He said, uh, I came to give you the most abundant life, not to, not to take anything away from you, to give you more. Paradoxically, though, the way you do it is not by 
seeking to acquire more and more. It's it's by giving it away, and in that process, you find your life. And I saw that lived out in Dr. Brand. It changed me forever. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for revisiting this text and helping introduce Dr. Brand's work to another generation. One question I get a lot, Nathan, is now, I, I read this book, Perfectly Wonderfully Made, like a long time ago. How is this different? <laughs> and, and it's different in a lot of ways. And there are many people who are a new generation and, and don't know it. But I've gotten letters and emails already and reviews saying, wow, it just feels like a whole different book. Because I, I spent about a year trying to make it in, into a new book. And InterVarsity did a beautiful job. They published it in, in a hardback. That cover. Oh, that cover. cover. And I'm, I'm so pleased for them to take it seriously. This is not a reprint. It's um, a brand new book. I'm grateful to have you join us as we explore this book together. And I'm grateful to the work of Renabari as we continue to explore and provide practical resources for cultivating a life, a life with God. As we pursue the audacious idea that we can enter into God's kingdom here and now, and in so becoming a little more like Jesus, transformation from the inside out. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.